Our topic this week, out of the book of Genesis, chapter 18, praying for Sodom. This will be an interesting sermon. We've looked at chapter 18 before. We've seen where three men came to visit Abraham, and he invited them for a meal. We've looked at that in previous sermons. And so there's a lot in chapter 18. We'll spend some more time in future weeks as well. Picking up at verse 16, after the meal, the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And so they start traveling towards Sodom, and from uh, there's Overlook area where you can look down on the, uh, the Dead Sea area, what is now the Dead Sea area, and it was the uh, Valley of Sidon, and uh, you can see the the area around what is now the Dead Sea, where Sodom, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were. Verse 17, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since he shall surely become a great and mighty nation? And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And in verse 20, And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether I have done, they have done according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So initially in chapter 18, it tells us these three men come, and visit Abraham, and he greets them, gives them a meal. And then in that discussion, they reveal who they are. By, by prophesying that Sarah is going to give birth to a child a year from that point, and later on we see that does happen, and Sarah laughs within herself, and, and they're able to identify that, hear her inward laugh and call her out on it, revealing their... Uh, heavenly home. And so here, they go off towards Sodom, and two of them, as we'll see in a little bit, are revealed as angels, and then one remains here with Abraham and begins to talk with him. And he says to him, the outcry against Sodom is great. The outcry. So somebody is crying out regarding what is taking place in Sodom. No doubt there's a lot of people, there were a lot of people in Sodom who were being hurt, were being abused, misused, and they were crying out in their pain for deliverance, for help. Maybe not to the Lord directly, but the Lord hears the cries of humanity. And the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah was great. And the sin is very grave. Singular there, the sin. Their sin is very grave. Now, there could have been a whole list of sins that were being committed in Sodom. But we'll see the Bible identifies one in particular. The men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord. Again, the men that went down toward Sodom, again, we'll see in a little bit, 
were the two angels, but still appearing as men. By this point, Abraham has caught on to who they are. One is the Lord, and the other two are angels. And again, we covered that in the past message and looked into it in detail. If you missed that, you can see it on shalomadventure.com. Verse 23, Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it for you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And so Abraham comes near to the Lord. Now the Lord has already come near to Abraham. God first finds us. God left heaven, came down to this earth, clothed himself in humanity, and appeared as a man to Abraham. Came very, very close. Not only in physical form, physical distance, but in physical form, taking on humanity, eating with Abraham talking with him, knowing what was burning in his heart and his desire, knowing what was in Sarah's mind and heart, came very close to Abraham and Sarah. And then as Abraham draws near to God, God allows him to do so. God has come very close to us. God has come very close to us in all of our lives individually, at various different points in times, God is very close here tonight. God is right here in this room with us. God has left heaven and come down into this earth in the form of flesh and has dwelt among us. And God invites us to come near to him as well, to draw close to him. What a God. What a wonderful God. Not a God who's somewhere far off. Not a God who doesn't know us. But a God who loves us. God who cares for us. God who wants to be close to us, who wants to reveal himself to us, who wants to get to know us. And then Abraham speaks this way, to the judge of all the earth. Now he could have referred to God as a lot of different ways here at this point. Could have said to, to the one who knows the end from the beginning, the one who has prophesied that my wife had beyond childbearing age, will bear a son, a miraculous God, God who's able to do the impossible, to bring a child out of a barren womb, out of a dead womb, the miraculous God, the covenant God, the covenant-keeping God, the loving God, the friendly God. Abraham is called God's friend. Couldn't refer to him in many different ways. God has revealed himself in all of those ways. The God who has protected me, protected me when I went down to Egypt, protected me on this whole entire journey, protected me in my life, blessed me in many ways over. The God who's given to me. God, my provider, sustainer. And he is all those things. But he's also the judge over all the earth. And in this setting, Abraham appeals to him that way. And not as a 
just a judge, impartial, but uncaring, but a righteous judge. A judge who will do rightly. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of the whole earth do what is right? Do what is just. Do what is fair. Do what is according to the law. So Abraham appeals to him that way. Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? There are 50 righteous there. And God responds. The Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. And Abraham answered and said, indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for a lack of five? And so he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. Where does Abraham get off thinking he can talk to God this way? <laughs> Doesn't God have a plan? Doesn't he know what he's going to do? How can we tell him what to do? How can we barter with God? Well, Abraham's not doing this out of some boastful, self-exalted position, he says. I am nothing. Dust and ashes. Clue, nothing, nothing in me. He doesn't say, oh, I'm Abraham, I'm your friend. Oh, I've sacrificed all these hundreds of animals all these years, and I've returned my tithe and offerings to Melchizedek, and I've fought battles for you, and I've helped other people, so please uh, hear my prayer. And No. He doesn't come giving any credit to himself. Come says, I'm nothing. I have nothing to bring to you. I have nothing to offer you. I have no position. I have no power. I have no authority. I have no riches that can pay you. Although he was rich on this earth, nothing that could buy God. He says, I'm dust and ashes. That's a great attitude for us to have as we petition God. It's a great attitude for us to have all the time because it's true. And reality is a good state to be in. Now, the world wants us to puff up our self-esteem, feel good about yourself, see your worth and, and your abilities and Abraham doesn't do that. I am dust and ashes. Out of the dust I was formed, Adam was formed. I'm going to go back to the dust. I'm nothing. Short period of time here, I'm here only by your grace, only by your goodness, only because your breath lives in me. You take away your, my breath, and in moments I will be nothing. So I'm nothing without you. I owe everything to God. So it's not self-esteem that we need. It's not the world's esteem. It's not what others esteem of us. It's not what we think of ourselves that we need. What we need is God-esteem. And God esteemed Abraham as his friend. 
and not because of anything on Abraham's part, but because of God's great love for Abraham. So Abraham knew who he was, nothing, dust and ashes. So then how could he come before God of the universe, the creator of all things, this way, and entreat him this way? He's nothing. Isn't he insecure and fearful? No, he's not insecure. He's not fearful. How can he know he's nothing and yet not be insecure and fearful and timid and afraid? Because he knows who he is and what he is, but he also knows who God is and what God is. And God is benevolent. God is loving. God is warm. God is welcoming. God is inviting and he says, come, let us reason together. I have come down to be with you. I want to know you. I want to hear from you. I want to hear your requests. And I want to grant them. Not because you're worthy or deserve it, but because I love you. And I want to give you good things. And I want you to be happy. And I want you to have the desires of the sanctified heart. And so Abraham understood that about God. He knew God. Not just about God. He knew, and he knew the real God. He knew the judge of all the earth. He knew the everlasting God, the ever-loving God, who's loving and forgiving and merciful, but who also will not allow wickedness to continue and go unpunished. A balanced God. A righteous God. A true God. Truthful God. And so Abraham was able comfortably to come before this God, even though he is nothing dust and ashes. Come before this God, the God, the only God, the one true God, because of God's open invitation and open heart towards us. And we can come before God the same way. We don't have to earn his love. We don't have to earn credits with him. We don't have to do something to warrant our ability to pray to him. We don't have to do anything to gain his acceptance. He loves us with an everlasting love. He doesn't love our sins. He doesn't accept our sins, but he accepts us. He says, come to me as you are. He loves us. But he also loves us too much to leave us as we are. And he takes us and he tra changes us and transforms us and makes us better than what we are. We always remain dust and ashes, but anything that we are is only because of him and only because of what he does in us and through us. And so he's able to come before this God and he comes and he's, Will you destroy it for 50? No, I won't destroy it for 50. There are cities on this earth that should be destroyed. But owe their, owe their existence to 50 righteous people there. They might not know it, certainly not appreciate it, certainly not give thanks for it, may desire those 50 to get out of town, but they owe their existence because of the righteous that are still here on this earth. 
And so Abraham doesn't start off by saying, well, how about 45? He says, oh, he says suppose there were five less. There's a whole, different, whole big difference between five less and 45. Okay? So if you're negotiating and you, you want to buy something and they say it's $50 and you say, you don't say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you 45. You say, well, you wouldn't want to lose out on a sale for just $5, would you? Well, not for five dollars. That's nothing. Five dollars is nothing. Sure, I won't lose this sale for five dollars. So Abraham says, "He wouldn't do this if there were just five left, less." God knows what he's saying, because God says, "No, this forty-five, I won't destroy it." That's how Jews. This is where we inherited the ability to negotiate. It came from Abraham. Right? It's in our genes, right? And never. Verse 29, he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. And so he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. And then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak, suppose 30 should be found there. And so he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed now I have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord, suppose 20 should be found there. And so he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. He's on a roll. <laughs> And would you like that? You go to your boss, uh, can I have a $50 raise? Okay, how about 55? How about 60? How about 70? How about 80? How about 90? So he just keeps on coming down. And God goes along with it. And we see the mercy of God. Not willing to destroy this city if there's even 20 there. But that also means if there are 20 there, and he's not going to destroy the city for the 20. And if that 20 is 1% of the population, that means there are 99% of the population who are hurting themselves and hurting others. And so we wonder sometimes, why did God allow this to happen to me? Why did I have to go through this? Why do I have these troubles? Why did God allow that person to do this to me? Well, God gives us free choice. And God gives others free choice as well. So yes, he could just destroy them, boom, the first shot. But he doesn't. And in the mercy of God, we say, oh, God is so loving. Look, he won't destroy the city for 20. But that also means that he's going to allow those 20 and others to get hurt and the outcry to continue. And so we cry, we experience suffering, pain here on this earth in part because of the free choice and the mercy that God has given to others to make wrong choices if they choose. Verse 32, and then he said, Abraham said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be there. He said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. And so the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Why did Abraham stop at 10? I don't know for sure, but I think he was counting. Lot's down there, my nephew. He's got to be a good guy. 
I trained him right. He knows the Lord. He's married, so that's two. We know, as we'll see later on another week, there's got two son, daughters in the house. And then the Bible says that he goes to his son-in-laws. So if there's son-in-laws, that means there's at least two son-in-laws, for it to be plural. And that means there's at least another two daughters. That gets us to eight. So if son-in-laws doesn't mean two, but means three, and he has three married daughters, we got our ten. And so maybe Lot had five daughters, three son-in-laws, himself and his two unmarried daughters. And he has his ten. So Abraham goes, good, that's I can stop at ten. But we see it wasn't enough. Now what would have happened if Abraham said five? What if there's five there? Do you think God would have gone down to five? Would he not spare the city for just five less than ten? He went from 50 down to 10? I think he would have gone down to five. If he would have gone down to five, do you think he would have gone down to three? There were three spared out of the city. Maybe the whole city would have been spared for three, but as we continue to read, and we'll get into it in a future week, at least two of those three were not so great. So what if he came down to one? What if Abraham said, if there's just one righteous person there, would you destroy that righteous person with that city for just one? I don't know. I know that God would have left heaven and come to this earth and provided a sacrifice for just one. I know that he would leave the 99 sheep and go to seek and to save just the one. So I think he would have spared the city even for one. But as we read, as we'll read on about Lot, <laughs> we see there might not have even been one in that city. Although Lot is spared, might not have met the criteria of righteous in the land. And so why was God willing to go down from 50 down to 10, maybe even much lower? Was it really because of Abraham's negotiating skills? For God so loved the world. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to salvation. Abraham is praying according to God's will. Abraham has come in tune with God. Yes. And he prays what God wants. He has God's heart. He has God's mind. And that's why he's considered a friend of God. He had a love for the wicked. He knew them. He knew them well. He went and fought for them, risked his life for them. He knew about them. He knew what they were about. And yet he loved them pled for them, prayed for them, interceded for them, fought for them, willing to die for them in battle. 
That's the heart of God. And that's the heart that God wants us to have. We're nothing. But God can give us that heart. We're actually even worse than nothing. We're born carnal. We're born enmity against God. We're born with a natural inclination to hate God and to resist God. We're desperately wicked. But God wants to change us and transform us. None of us have any righteousness of our own to present before God. All of us are nothing. But we can come before God, ask for his heart, ask for his mind, and he will give us the ability to pray according to his will and pray for the things that are important to him, the salvation of lost souls. So let's go down to Sodom and find out what was happening down there. The two angels, two of the men, still appearing as men, the two angels came to Sodom. Lot said, spend the night at my house. Before they lay down, the men of Sodom, old and young, and every, from every quarter surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So these two angels as they're identified are appearing as men to Abraham. Appeared as men coming into the city, no wings, no halos. As men, they come into the city. Lot invites him into their home, his home, and the men of the city say, bring those men out to us that we may know them carnally. So what was the sin, the only sin that's identified? He could have said that the, the people of Sodom came and tried to rob these men. He could have said, come to kill these men, but not murder, not thievery. What is the sin that is recorded against Sodom? Sodomy is the sin that the Bible records against Sodom. That is where we get the term. A lot of people don't like to use that term, don't use that term much anymore, but that's what it is, sodomy. And nothing more or less. And since this is brought up in the Bible, again, we've been looking at chapter 18 here in several different ways and several different aspects of it, several different layers of it. We've done a few sermons already on it. We'll do a few more. But tonight, we're going to focus on this sin brought out here. We're in Genesis. We're doing a series on the book of Genesis. We don't want to skip over the Bible and skip over Bible topics. Even though many would, many don't want to talk about this topic, but it is a Bible topic mentioned from Genesis almost to the end of the Bible. And so how dare we avoid it? Especially since it's been a problem in this earth from the days of Abraham, 3,500 years ago to this day. So what is God's attitude towards Sodomites. He loves them with an everlasting love. He sent Abraham to go and deliver them while the kings had taken them captive. He gave them another opportunity, put them back in their city, gave them back their goods. 
allowed Lot to go into the land and into the city to teach them, demonstrate to them, to show them. Allowed Abraham to be in close enough proximity that they had opportunity to know about the God of Abraham if they wanted. No doubt they came in contact with Abraham, at least when he delivered them. An opportunity to go and give him thanks, this one who went and delivered him. To go and want to know what made you to be so bold that you risked your life and your family to come and to save us. God loves them. Instead of just arbitrarily going by the outcry of those who are being abused there, he sends two angels right down to see for themselves. Yes. God loves them. But will God accept the sin? What does God think about the people? He loves them. What does God think of the sin? Well, we'll look at some Bible texts to find out. Again, none of us are any better than anyone else. We're all nothing. We're all sinners at heart. We all need the transformation, transforming love of God to work in us, cleanse us of our sins through the blood of Messiah and to change us. In Romans chapter 1, verse 26, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women, exchanging the natural use for what is against nature, likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burn in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. God gave them up, gave them free choice. God gives us free choice. And if we want to choose to stay on the devil's side, we want to choose to follow his ways as Adam and Eve initially chose, and chose to go out from under the banner of God, under the banner of being created in God's image, and chose to follow the devil and take on his image, he gives us free choice. Whether we want to come out from that image of the devil and be transformed by the power of God day by day, moment by moment, back into the image of God that he originally created our parents to, or whether we want to stay under the image of the devil in our carnal hearts. And if we want to stay under that, God will give us up. He'll give us that free choice. So God gave them up to the vile passions women with women, men with men, exchanging what is natural. Now, some people look at this and hear this and say, oh, that's hate speech. Oh, that's hateful. Oh, how dare you say this? Not hate, it's I'm no better. You're no better. None of us are any better. Sin is sin. What it is, yeah. And we're all born with carnal impulses. All of us. All our impulses are all carnal. <laughs> Everything about when we're born is carnal impulses. We all need to be changed. Every aspect. Totally, completely. Not just partly, not 50%. We need to die to sin. We die in the Lord. Buried with Him. Crucified with Him made alive in him, and all things becoming new, transformed. 
renewed, born again. You must be born again, all of us. Start all over again, not again partial, not just some areas, born again. Exchanging the natural for what is against nature. This is a strange thing, an interesting aspect. I think if we took a survey among sodomites and that whole crew, you know, the ABC, LGB, XYZ, you know, whatever letters they want to put in there. You know, they got a plus at the end so they can throw anything in there. You know, just add it in there. Really just has one thing in common, perverse sex is really all it comes down to. It's the only thing they have in common. But if you did a survey among them, I would think, I didn't do a survey, but I think if we did a survey and asked how many of them believed in evolution, some form or another, and there are some that will profess to believe in the Bible, but still like an evolutionary theology, a biblical evolutionary type of thing, not the creation account as it is in the Bible, exactly the Bible is literally clear, but no, I think if you ask them, do you believe in evolution in some way, shape, or form, I think 99.999999% would say, well, we believe in evolution. I believe in evolution. I don't believe in the Bible, literally. I don't believe in a creation account as written in the Bible. Well, so if they believe in evolution, sodomy and that whole lifestyle does not match up with evolution at all. It's a total contradiction. Evolution is survival of the fittest. And not being able to procreate is not the way to survive. And nowhere in nature do we see homosexuality among the animal kingdom. We don't see it. I read an article even by National Geographic. That's not a biblical magazine in any way, stretch of the imagination. And they had an article looking at all different kinds of species, uh, and none of them said are pure homosexuals. Now, there are some that have their brains bred out of them and you know, don't know what they're doing. I remember as a young kid going and visiting some aunt and uncle and this poodle started humping my leg, you know. That was greatly uh, regretted that. I'm, I guarantee you that. But, uh, uh, you know, that brains are bred. I'm in nuts. I mean, they'll hump a tree. You know what I mean? <laughs> that doesn't mean he's homosexual, right? You know, he's just whatever is there. Right? And there are some cows, that even female cows will jump on other cows. You know, but again, their brains have been bred out of them. But in the wild, in the nature, and there are some occasional, you know, strange stuff that happens among some of these animals. But they said as far as, you know, monogamous, lifetime, dedicated, homosexual does not exist in the animal kingdom. It's not natural, as the Bible said. It's not natural. It's not natural. So how can they say science, nature, not natural? It's not there. They have no example. And so how can we evolve to something better when no one else is doing it before and the better is not better, the better doesn't reproduce? That's not evolution, that's devolution. It's going down, not. And even these chopping up things, these trans mutations that they're making, they don't reproduce. They really can't even have sex. It's not real sex that they're having. 
They become neutered as far as sexual impulses. They don't tell them that always, especially when they're talking to a 13-year-old <clears throat> and trying to convince them to do this. There's a lawsuit. <clears throat> There's a lawsuit going on right now. California, I think she's 17, 18, I guess she turned 18, 18-year-old. 18 when she was 13, she had what they called top surgery. They give her a choice, top surgery or bottom surgery. Oh, sounds so nice. You tell her, you know, what it really is. She had the top surgery. All those massive problems that take place with these surgeries. And the hormones and the injections and all the things that they have to give to the person. It affects them. And she's suing them because it's really messed her up. Yet. It's not just a body part. We're not male or female because of a single body part or a pair of body parts. It's in our, every cell of our body shouts what we are, male or female. It's in our DNA. You can't remove it and you can't you just be changed with, with uh, some surgery and, and some hormones. It's more than hormones and it's more than surgery. It's more than a body part. You have to change every single blood cell, everything in the person to change us. It's against nature. Just as the Bible says here. And it's shameful. And it says they receive the penalty of their error. And again, there are suffering great penalties. In St. Pete last night after the sermon, a lady came up to me. I've known her and I've known about her granddaughter. And her granddaughter was thinking she is a boy, wanted to change her name. But she told me last night, she said that, uh, and, and she was indoctrinated that from the school system. The schools are pushing it to schools, even from kindergarten on. You don't know who you are. You don't know what you are. We don't know at birth what we are. We are what we want to be. And so she was pushed in the school system upon her. But thankfully, a number of different situations took place. She got kicked out of school, <laughs> was homeschooled, and now she's straightened out, and now she's a beautiful young lady. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. That's horrendous what's going on, this grooming of children, indoctrination of children, these school systems, people think that they can take control of these children, get them at an early age. We don't allow them to have a gun, we don't allow them to drink, we don't allow them to vote for good reason until they're a certain age. But their brains aren't developed yet, you're going to allow them to cut off a body part without, parent, without parental permission and parental knowledge that's going to affect them the rest of their life? It's not natural. Not natural. Still Romans 1 verse 28. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, full of envy, malice, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, inventors of evil things, violent, proud, boasters, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Is that not prophetic? 
I mean, does that not describe to a T what we're seeing today? Now again, we're all at birth given over to a debased mind. All of us. Our minds are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's what the Bible says. So we need to have renewed minds. So again, we're no better than anyone else. Just calling out this sin tonight, but all there's a lot of sins mentioned here. Envy. So if any of us have envied, we're in the same parallel they are. No different. Envy sin. Don't envy. Malice, deceit, whispers, backbiters, gossipers. Any of us applied, it applies to any one of us, any of these sins. We all need to repent, and we all need to receive forgiveness, and we all need to have God change us from sinners to saints by his power. It's like he changes a caterpillar to a butterfly. It's his miracle that he does. Doesn't matter what we're born. They say they're born this way. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. I don't know. It doesn't matter. We're all born with corrupt minds. So it doesn't matter. We all need to be changed. The person's born a pyromaniac. We go, oh, well, okay. Here's my house. You know, no. <laughs> if some matches, no. You say, oh, I'm sorry. That's not acceptable. We don't allow that. Right? Person born to two parents or heroin addicts, they give birth to a kid who's addicted to heroin. So what's the loving thing to do? Give him some more heroin? Put him on a life supply of heroin? Well, they're born that way. They're born addicted to heroin. No. They say, oh, we're going to wean you off. We're going to help you out. We're going to help you through this. I gave that example last night. Last night after services, someone came up and said, my daughter was a heroin addict. And her husband loved her too much to let her go, worked with her, prayed with her. Thank God she's not an heroin anymore. He did the loving thing. He didn't say, oh, I love you. Here's more heroin. Let me go buy it for you. No. We all do stupid things. We all do evil things. We're all evil and corrupt, but God changes us. Doesn't matter what we were born. I don't care if you're born. Doesn't matter. We all need to be born again. Haters of God, inventors of evil things. They come up with new words, new terms, inventing things all over the place. Crazy, violent, proud. <laughs> Is that not prophetic? God put the word proud in there. And of all terms that they choose to identify themselves by, pride. Get news with Pride is not a good thing. <laughs> pride, is not, pride is not a good biblical trait. No, the trait of Abraham, I am nothing, I am dust and ashes. That's a godly trait. Not insecure, he wasn't insecure. He came before God, fought armies, won with another wimp. But he knew what he was, and he knew who God was. Oh, so pride? Proud that you have perverted sex? That's what you're proud of? That's something to be proud of? Shameful. Not proud. And these corporations, they... Supporting that, giving money, and indoctrinating children. It's horrible. Clothes, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. This evening, I don't know, I don't know if they're all in that they know this is a whole big lie, that they know that this is lunacy, 
and they're just trying to shove it down our throats, or if they are under what the Bible describes as a delusion, deceived, strong delusion. God has given them over to a strong delusion. But they really believe that men can give birth. Do they really believe that men can menstruate? Do they really believe it? Or are they deceived with this strong delusion? And, you know, this sermon will be old tomorrow. They'll have new stuff. I mean, it, it started with just tolerate us. We just want to get married. We just want a marriage license. Just tolerate us. Let's have a house and uh, live together and just leave us alone. But no. Now it's, you got to accept it. you got to call me what I am. I think I am. I'm an it. I'm a they. I'm a this. I'm a that. And, and i got to pretend that you are that, this, that, duck, whatever you think you are. And they force it upon us. I'm not just tolerating them. It becomes this unmerciful, unforgiving, unloving, and want to just kill us and lock us up if we disagree. That's not tolerance. That's not loving, they're very unloving, very unmerciful, very unforgiving. And again, it just gets stranger and stranger and weirder and weirder and worse and worse. But again, none of us are any better. We've all been tempted to be proud. We've all been tempted to boast. Disobedience to parents, again, not telling any of the parents. And the schools and the system and the government is encouraging, don't tell the parents. There are school boards and there are places and there are states that will want to take away the kids from the parents. If the kid won't call she or he and he or she, take away disobedient to parents. Unnatural. Amen. And make it tell Leviticus. 1822, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. So here in Leviticus, so it goes all the way back to, well, all the way back to Abraham's time, but the Torah as well and Moses' writing. Not to do this, it's an abomination. Not to do sodomy. Nor, and then the next thing, the next line, the next verse, right next to it, paired right with it, not bestiality. Not mate with any animal. Defile yourself with it. Just a week or two ago, a professor of a university was arrested because he was found in a parking lot of a park, a trailhead, having sex with his dog. Uh, when uh, he was arrested, and, and the only reason he was arrested there was because in that state, it's illegal. There are many states where it's legal. And when they arrested him, he said, well, I was needing to release some Tension. Oh. And two like one. 
And this is what our university professors, this is what our universities are allowing to teach young minds. Horrible. Shows you what kind of quality they're getting. They may say, well, Rabbi Jeff, there are, there are rabbis and pastors who are all in on the ABC groups, XYGs and LQTs. Well, that shows you what kind of quality ministers we're producing today as well. And it's not much better, if it is at all, than the university professors are producing. So this might be the very next thing on it. Right? So I don't know if, it, if it's there yet. If there's a B, is there a B? There's a B. Right, but that's a different B. So maybe they'll have two Bs. The BB will be LBB, one for bestiality, LBB, GTQRXY, whatever. And what about a P? Is there a P in there? There's a plus. Maybe they could put a P in there. There are those with voices and positions, influencers, who are encouraging pedophilia, who think it's a great idea. They crawled on the maps now. The binary. So, what's the next? Again, this will be old news tomorrow. They keep on changing, keep on moving, keep on pushing the goalpost. I would not be surprised if another B and another and a P is added on there. It's already there, just not listed there, right? It's just, there's a Q there. Right, well, what on earth is that, you know? It's just kind of an encompassing strangeness. We even have a Supreme Court judge. You may imagine this. A Supreme Court judge who was asked before Congress voted whether or not to allow her to be a Supreme Court judge. How do you define a woman? Her answer was, well, I don't have a biology degree. I can't answer that question. Well, I guess maybe we should make biology degrees a prerequisite for being a Supreme Court judge then. I mean, do you have to be a meteorologist to know the sky is blue? No, you don't. And you don't need to be a biologist to know what a woman is. They're trying to destroy women's. And as a Supreme Court judge, yes. making decisions for the land. She. Are they just trying to, they know they're lying to themselves and trying to shove it down our throat? Or are they under a strong delusion themselves? I don't know. But either way, it's not good. It's not good. And it's not acceptable. And it's not right. And it's not biblical. It is a perversion. I remember this came up in a topic in a Bible study once, and there was a, a couple ladies there, and, and uh, they were involved in this kind of lifestyle. And uh, they said, well... The animal, there was another animal story in, in the news, and they said, well, he raped the animal. And so I said, well, there was another news story uh, just a few months before that where a woman and her dog, as described here in the Bible, she wasn't raping it. Pretty free choice there. 
She didn't have an answer for that. But again, this is the next frontier, I believe. They're going to try and shove down our throats. 1 Timothy 1.9, the law is made for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. And kidnapping, kidnapping is basically what the government is doing by taking kids away from their parents because the parent refuses to call a he a she or a she a he. It's kidnapping. And it puts this list here of sodomites with fornicators and manslayers and murderers of mothers and murderers, ungodly, unholy, profane. And again, we're no better. No condemnation here. No hatred here. Calling out sin. Calling out wrong action. Wrong choices. Whatever they're born, whatever they're feeling, whatever their inner desire, that has nothing to do with it. Feelings means nothing. Desires mean nothing. God can change our desires. God can change us. Right? Otherwise, the heroin addicts are, t- are lost. Otherwise, gluttonous, gluttons are lost. Gluttony is, you know. No, the Bible calls out all these things and God can change our desires. God can transform us and change us. And drunkards, tough luck. No, God's able to change us and transform us. And again, we're all born with the propensity to sin, Evil desires, the whole gospel is about God changing us. The whole Bible is all about God changing us. Bring us back into the original image he created Adam and Eve in, which we left, they left, and we have all left. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Yeshua and by the Spirit of our God. Flee sexual immorality. And so here, this whole list, don't be deceived. Don't allow it. Don't be deceived. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that list includes fornicators which is sex before marriage. That's just as bad. It's not just these sodomites, but heterosexuals. Heterosexuals that are doing sex that's inappropriate in the Bible before marriage is not approved. Adulterers. Sex with someone else, not your spouse, is unapproved. And what should we say to the, the adulterer? What if he says, I've got this desire, I've got this burning passion for this other person? What would be the loving thing for the wife to say? Oh, well, I love you. Okay, that's all right. That's, in, that's how you were born. That's what your desire is. Go ahead. No, that's not the loving thing to do. That's not the right thing to do. I mean, nuts. Who in their right mind would want their spouse being with other people? Non-monogamous people. And so that's wrong. And God can change the person. God can transform the I've seen it. God can save marriages under those circumstances. But not if the person continues in the sin and stays in that lifestyle, but God can change the person. That's what it's all about. God is able to change us. All of us. Yes. 
So the effeminate, the sodomites, the thieves, the covetous. Covetous. So the covetous will not be in the kingdom of heaven. Hey, that's all Americans. Boom, right there. <laughs> coveting what is not ours, coveting what, you know, wanting more, desiring more. The whole TV commercials, our whole business, our whole economy is based on covet, coveting. Desiring more, always having to have more, always having what the neighbors have. And I think that's part of it, our nature, again, our carnal nature, our unholy nature that God needs to change us from and be born anew from, is the nature to want to be something else, to look at someone else and want what they have. That's why people with curly hair try and iron it out so they can have straight hair. <laughs> that's why people with straight hair try and get the curly. <laughs> People with one color hair, they want to dye it to another color hair. People with one color eye, they want to get other color eyes. You know? yeah. We have this dissatisfaction in ourselves. We're born dissatisfied, discontented. And so we're looking and always looking for something else that'll give us happiness, something else that'll give us meaning. Maybe if I have that car, like that happy person on the TV looking there, smiling while they're driving that car. If I had that car, I'd smile and I'd look like that too, and I'd have that kind of a girlfriend. You know, I mean, you know. When we look at those things, that's how they do it. They get a desiring. Think, so maybe if I had this, if I had that, if I was this, if I did that, if I went here, if I went there. Always thinking some, something beyond the rainbow, right? Somewhere beyond the rainbow, there'll be something better. Always looking for something better. And so Satan uses that and say, well, maybe if you weren't a girl, if you were a boy, you'd be happier. If you weren't a boy, you were a girl, you'd be happier. But no, that's not where happiness comes. It doesn't come in coveting what we're not, desiring what we're not, being envious of what we're not. Happiness comes in knowing God, and knowing this great and righteous judge of all the earth, friend who loves us, who cares for us, who hears us, who listens to us, who draws close to us, who wants to know us, who left heaven and came here to walk with us and be with us and tabernacle with us. That's where happiness comes. Knowing his love, hearing his acceptance, receiving his gift of salvation, his power that he has given himself, he's paid for us the most wonderful price himself so that we can experience heaven for eternity. That's where contentment comes. That's the contentment that Abraham had. That's what he wants to give to us. And again, out of this whole list, including the Sodomites, it says, and such were some of you. Not some, such are some of you, were some of you, past tense. And Alcoholics Anonymous, they sit there, be there for 50 years. They introduce themselves, I am an alcoholic. My name is so, and I'm an alcoholic. No, you're not an alcoholic anymore. You haven't touched the alcohol in 50 years. You've been delivered from it by the power of the Lord. You've been washed in the blood of Messiah. You've been sanctified. You've been justified. God has set you free from that. You're born anew. The drunkard is dead. And you're now alive in God. You're a new creature. All things are made new. That's what God does for us. Whatever the sin, I don't care what the sin is. It doesn't matter what the sin is. Fornication, adultery, whatever the sin, sodomy, whatever the sin, it doesn't matter. Envy, hatred, unforgiven, fearful. Has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Oh, yes. 
envy, selfish, greedy, complaining, gossipers, whatever it is, doesn't matter. God is able to wash us of it, cleanse us of it, remove it out of our minds and our heart and our nature. I don't care what your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, that's how they were. doesn't matter. Born anew. New genealogy. New traits. New mind. New heart. New desires. All things become new. Sanctified. Made holy. Made righteous. Not because of our goodness, not because of our abilities, but because of God's. Sanctified and justified. Made righteous. Made just with God. Right with God. By His power. By His blood. Through His name. Through His sacrifice. Through His death. Through His resurrection. Through the power of the Holy Spirit coming and living in us and out of us and changing us and molding us day by day, moment by moment, temptation by temptation into the image of God. That's the power of God. And that is offered and given freely to all. All who will receive it. It's freely given. And so the choice is ours. On which do we want? Do we want to live in our sins? Proud, vain, boasters, or whatever the sin is. Lust, whatever it is, doesn't matter. Or do we want to be transformed by God? That's what it comes down to. He's given us free choice. Which will we choose? He invites us to flee these sins. Flee them all. Flee from it. Run from it by the power of God. And so God invites us to be praying as God prayed. Pray for Sodom. Pray for this world. Not, we don't hate them. I don't hate anyone by God's grace. It's not about hatred. It's love. We pray. I were out there this week passing out cards and books and letters and out there and a man drove by, Natan and I, and uh, as he was driving by, Natan said, would you like a free book and prayer? And he said, I'm very gay. And he kept on riding. I went, what, what does very gay mean? How do you be very gay? <laughs> what does that mean? You know, he's using the word gay there as a, as a noun, you know. Like, is this a very building? This building is very building-ish, you know? <laughs> you know. Can you be very straight? Can you be very heterosexual? You know, heterosexual? I mean, what? Can you be very... Doesn't mean God can lock Putin. But God calls us to pray. Well, we hate him. By God's grace, we pray. Abraham didn't hate him. They corrupted and destroyed his nieces and nephews. They hurt many people that he knew. Outcry to God was very great. But he prayed and he interceded. And that's what God's called us to do. To pray, to intercede, to love, to offer the gift of salvation, the gift of deliverance, to be made whole, to be washed, to be cleansed, to be sanctified, to be purified, 
to be justified by the power and blood of Messiah. No matter how we're born, no matter what we've been through, God can change us and transform us. And that's what it's about. And so God has called us to a special position in this day and age to be in prayer, to be living examples, to risk our lives if necessary, to help deliver them and to help them stand true, to stand firm. And so in a moment when we pray, God's bringing to your mind maybe someone you know who's caught up in this deception of what is acceptable, what is right, what is natural, what is normal, what should be approved of. Maybe you know someone is being tempted, maybe you know someone in the school system or someone who's being groomed and manipulated through commercials and advertising and stores, young or old. Maybe you know someone who's involved in this lifestyle. In a moment when we pray, lift them up before the Lord. Maybe you don't know an individual person, maybe no name or face is coming to your mind, but maybe you just want to pray for the whole group. All the letters. And when we pray, we can do that. Or maybe God's impressing your mind and heart to pray for the other sins that we read tonight. Many of them. Maybe you know someone who's covetous. Maybe you know someone who's envious. Maybe you know someone who's unforgiving, unmerciful. Someone who's fearful. Someone who's worried. Someone who's not trusting God. Someone who doesn't love God. Maybe you know someone who's a liar or lied or a deceiver. Maybe you know someone who's discontent. Maybe that someone is you. In a moment when we pray, pray for that person. Pray for that individual. That the blood of Messiah would come, the love of Messiah would come into their heart and mind and transform them and change them. That they would surrender all and receive his love and come out of the world, come out of the Babylon, come out of the confusion, come out of sin, and come into God's glorious light. Come to his truth, his holiness, come close to him and get to know him. So if any of those areas apply to you, you want to pray and intercede, receive the Messiah and pray for others. And let us pray and let God do his work. We thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for first loving us. Thank you for loving us as we are in our corrupt state. Thank you that you didn't destroy Adam and Eve right from the very beginning when they rebelled against you. Thank you in your mercy you've given us time to know you, to turn from our wicked ways. Thank you for the opportunities you've given to us. Thank you for your word that instructs us and shows us right from wrong. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you, Yeshua, for giving yourself for us. Thank you for coming and dwelling in the flesh, just as you did with Abraham. And thank you for 
taking our sins upon yourself. All our sins, whatever they are, whether envy or strife or anger, angry, anger or bitterness, resentment, unbelief, fornication, adultery, pornography, sodomy, sexual impurities in any form, self-sex. Forgive us and cleanse us. Remove from us hatred and prejudice, selfishness and pride, covetous and greed, cleanse us in all other sins, whatever you're impressing our hearts and minds. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for cleansing us. Thank you for washing us in your blood. Fill us with your spirit. Sanctify us, justify us, make us holy. Live in us and through us. Give us faith. Give us love. Give us peace. Give us strength. Give us power. Give us a sound mind. Give us right choices. Make us forgiving and merciful, loving, burden for others, compassionate. Work in us and through us. Transform us, change us. Give us faith, give us hope. Give us belief, generosity. Work your will through us and in us. And by your grace, reach out to others. Win those that are caught up in these delusions. Open their eyes. They may see you. That they may see their wretchedness and their perversity in comparison to you. May they see you as you truly are, not as an angry judge, but a righteous judge over all the earth. Draw them close to your side. Come close to them. Change them, transform them. Renew them. Purify them. Cleanse them through and through. And give them the power to flee all immorality. And we ask these things through your grace, through your love, through your power, through your righteousness, in Yeshua's holy name. Amen.